evening it's time for motivation four days ago on tuesday a friend of mine died eva was born in 1920 so she was 99 years old i think she lived a good life she was a christian but with an open mind to other traditions she very much believed in rebirth and had so she said um when i visited her two years ago um no fear of death what i remember most talking to her and observing her life is that she always kept an optimistic mind growing up as a young woman during the second world war and then the lack of sufficient food and material to sustain life wasn't for sure easy she made the best of the little she had she learned skills such as sewing with rest material that she found somewhere or she got very cheap on the market she was a belly dancer in her younger life with a mission to bring life or you can say culture into a dead land a higher education was not available and encouraged at her time later she taught children how to dance belly as well as well her life was very much devoted to others but she also knew well how to take care of herself always able to find the balance so to be able to help others so even with her 98 years the year before when i lived for some months in germany with her and my friend her daughter she did everything possible that she could to support the household or family life even if it meant to wake up very early such as 4 a.m. to use the bathroom and get dressed what took her about 1 to 2 hours she was in constant pain but still she always showed up to help in the kitchen to eat with us to answer the phone to serve her stepson with food and drink who was bound to a wheelchair and suffering due to dementia It was amazing to see the power of her mind, her heart. She wanted so much to contribute and you can also say to cherish others. Cherishing others or compassion is the way to go. As Lama Super always says, um this is the best medicine, the best psychology, the best dharma, the best everything. He also says it's a quick way to achieve awakening to free sentient beings. from obscurations and bring them to full awakening quickly i don't know about eva's long term goals but since her faith um did not include awakening i'm not sure um where she will go but i'm sure she was a very good human being uh, with a good heart and that will contribute to good karma ripening in this or her future lives so right now we have a precious human life but this life will end and how we use this life will determine our future lives until we attain liberation and as long as we are in other afflictions and karma we will experience death and rebirth again and again so there's no certainty that we will have one good rebirth after another we go up and down down and up as chandrakirtian has supplemented to nagarjuna's treatise on the middle way states like a water wheel in motion my creators have no autonomy first with the thought i cling i they cling to self then with the thought mind there 
become attached to things. I bow to this compassion that cares for my greatest. So Shantrakirti points out that there is a way out of cyclic existence, out of birth and death. We ourselves and others are likewise under the influence of afflictions and karma. Shantrakirti is comparing sentient beings caught in cyclic existence with a water wheel. We imagine buckets on a pulley. The buckets go down and the pulley pulls them up and then they go down again. The bucket or the buckets are tied by a very strong rope. So sentient beings, we are tightly bound to cyclic existence by ignorance, afflictions and karma. But the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas look at us with compassion. Therefore, we should listen and tune into their compassion by following their advice, by listening to the teachings, reflecting upon them, meditating again and again, and integrating them into our daily lives. Compassion is not only something that the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas can develop, but we ourselves too. It may take so a long time, but setting the conditions is also Dharma practice and is especially good if we combine it with the motivation to benefit sentient beings. So, if we have a precious human life, it depends upon if we use the antidotes to the afflictions, if we practice compassion and so forth. Whatever bit we can do is beneficial even if we don't understand the teachings or don't have the mental capacities for certain practices yet. Our motivation here is essential. The wish to help others. And since we don't know when we are going to die, let's give the best to make use of this time and teaching available. So may this review of His Holiness and Venomoshutran's teachings May our discussion and sharing tonight be a contributing factor to our awakening to benefit others in whatever way possible. When Manu Shutran let the reason go around, she asked us um, what stands out most for us from this winter retreat. And she herself answered, seeing that we are all so interdependent. Therefore, benefiting sentient beings is basically a natural process to repay the kindness of others. Our reckoning depends on sentient beings. I found that a very good reminder. First of all, I could um, be reminded that our teacher has compassion that she is, due to her understanding, her dependent arising, committed to help sentient beings. She is committed to share the Buddha's teachings with us out of her deep compassion. And as we could hear and see, this is not always easy. So basically, we found a precious jewel. Not taking the jewel, making use of it, making use of the Dharma she is providing us is quite foolish. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be foolish. <laughs> so whatever I, whatever we can do tonight to review Venmo Shwetan's teachings, uh, let's give our best. And whatever yeah, you can do to contribute, please do so.
So since when our children is in Taiwan um, for three weeks, we do some reviews of the last year teachings. And last one was something gave a review on dependent arising and emptiness. And we are now continuing with the review on chapter two on the Buddhist view of life and special, specifically on the section of um, the possibility of ending dukkha. And when Mushutun said this is one of her favorite sections. Um, we already went through the topics of what is mind, then body, mind, rebirth, and self. Then we covered the four truths of the ayas, and then dependent arising and emptiness. So we are now going to speak about liberation, about the end of dukkha. So you can find it on page 36 in the book, Approaching the Buddhist Path. In order to understand how to overcome dukkha, uh, we need to understand what actually dukkha is and um, what the causes of it are. So there, uh, first, I like to, therefore, I would like to give a review on the Four Noble Truths, uh, referring, of course, on Venomoshutran's teachings um, within this series. And then I may sneak in some quotes from the Lama and Shenmo to enrich our understanding. And by the way, this will be a highly participative uh, review, so <laughs> I have several questions for you. <laughs> so first of all, um, just a short review on the four truths of the ayas, or common, commonly known as the four noble truths. So the first truth, we all strive for happiness and um, for peace, for freedom from suffering. Um, but we often look into the wrong direction to gain that. So within samsara, cyclic existence, there's no stable peace, joy to be found. Or did somebody find it so far? I didn't. And um, so dukkha, uh, the first two, is um, or means that um, we have polluted aggregates. And polluted means that we are under the control of afflictions, uh, especially in ignorance and karma. We are all under the control of afflictions, uh, especially ignorance and karma. So we all get sick, uh, we have to die, and we also experience suffering in form of anxieties, fear, anger. His Holiness writes in this book, The I, the person that is merely designated in dependence upon the body and mind, revolves in cyclic existence. Our five aggregates of body and mind are unsatisfactory by nature and constitute the first truth of the ayas, the truth of dukkha. The second truth, I'm asking you, what are the causes of dukkha? <laughs> Karma and afflictions, right? <laughs> so, um... The causes of the five aggregates are mental afflictions and polluted actions. And in Buddhism, one teacher, um, there are two ways how ignorance functions. Um, we have mental darkness that conceals, obscures uh, the nature of phenomena. And then we have um, the false appearance, distortions that Venomous Sengakato mentioned yesterday. So first we perceive things uh, incorrectly, then based on that we think um, wrongly uh, about that, and then we misunderstand how the things really exist. 
So this is really a short review. <laughs> and then the third truth is um, two cessation. Uh, it's liberation and nirvana. And this is what we really strive for, the peace, the joy, the fulfillments. So how can we attain to cessation? <laughs> Practicing the path to uproot ignorance, yes. <laughs> so then we have the four truths, four truths, and it's two paths. Um, uh, what does it consist of? <laughs> Eightfold noble path, the three higher trainings, right? <laughs> Um, according to Buddhism, one teacher of many traditions, um, the two paths is an ayas realization informed by the wisdom directly realizing the emptiness of inherent existence. Or here in approaching Buddha's path, it says, wisdom realizing the ultimate nature, the emptiness of inherent existence of all persons and phenomena, are the virtuous consciousnesses supported by that wisdom. So when we see things um, don't exist how they appear, um, then this will also eradicate the cause um, for afflictions to arise. And when there are no afflictions, then there's no karma created. And um, so no cause to be reborn in samsara. And one time we will attain liberation, just briefly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, let's go directly into the possibility of ending dukkha. So why is it possible to end dukkha, to achieve liberation? It's impermanent. It's impermanent. Because the afflictions are not um, an inherent part of our mind. Mm -hmm. They're adventitious. Right. Yes. That's what you meant with impermanent? The causes of dukkha can they cease, so they're not a permanent phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the book answer is, um, or one of Shutan says, the two factors that make liberation possible is the clear light nature of mind and the adventitious, so the temporary nature of the defilements. So, what does the clear light mind uh, or clear light nature of mind refer to? The basic capacity of the mind to cognize objects is clear and cognizant nature. Yes. <laughs> That's what the little um, monks do in the Tibetan monasteries or nuns do. <laughs> you know, they first read and then they memorize and then they repeat. And then at one point we have it in our mind realized fully. Yeah. So, um, right. There are certain obstructing factors that hinder the mind to know its objects. So how many types of types of obstructions are there? Two types. Two types, right? Can you mention them? Um. <laughs> the afflictive of curations with uh, prevent us from attaining liberation and the cognitive obscurations which prevent us from achieving omniscience. Perfect. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, the book says that there are actually different explanations how to view these two obscurations uh, according to the different tenet systems. And this book uh, follows Nagarjuna's findings, who lived in which century? 
second century. So, <laughs> 600 years. <laughs> um, on page 36, it says, in 70, so it's from Nagarjuna, and 70 stanzas on emptiness, he notes, and that uh, the conception that things that arise from causes and conditions exist in their own right is ignorance. And Moshutan comments, so if we think that things that arise due to causes and conditions have their own findable essence from their own side, then that's an example of ignorance. That's the meaning of fundamental ignorance that causes samsara. So ignorance and its latencies um, uh, obstructs the ability to cognize all objects. And then Ayadeva uh, was a uh, chief or was a chief disciple of Nagarjuna. He writes in or wrote in 400 stanzas, the consciousness that is the seed of our existence has objects as its sphere of activity. When selflessness is seen in objects, the seed of existence is destroyed. What do you think is the seed of existence? Something between page 36 and 37. Uh, <laughs> Transitory collection, but we call that your personal identity. Kind of, yeah, um, self-grasping ignorance. Um, she says, the seed of existence is referring to existence in cyclic existence, and in particular, um, referring to the link of renewed existence, the tenth link. So that's depicted in which form? The tenth link of um, cyclic existence. The woman that gives birth. Or also, apparently, but I haven't understood that, um, a couple that is copulating. So that symbolizes, she says, the karma that's nourished by attachment, by grasping, um, is ready to produce a next life. The karmic potency in the last moment of life will cause the next life. That Exactly that um, uh, description you can find also in View of Life by Solinas the Dalai Lama. So then on page 37, when Shutan continues to read from the book, that leads to a very poignant statement. <laughs> Cyclic existence or dukkha does not arise without a cause or from a discordant cause, such as a permanent creator. Cyclic existence arises from an undisciplined, ignorant mind. When Shutan stopped at this point uh, in a very reflective manner <coughs> and continues, so that undisciplined mind is the chief cause of our entire samsara. So what do you think is this undisciplined mind? What is meant by that? Minds that runs uncontrollably after objects, grasping here and grasping there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, the craving uh, for sense pleasures. Mm -hmm. Um... I also, um, yeah, definitely, I, I went more into the direction um, of explaining it with the eight worthy concerns and um, yeah, not having the right focus on renunciation, basically not being able to concentrate on what's important in our life. Um, I found a very inspiring uh, quote in Lamam Shammu, chapter twenty. Three on the path leading to liberation by Sunkapa. Um, 
The quote is from Yogi Sri uh, Javan Nitrananda uh, from his letter to King Chandra. How we samsaric beings see the mind and how he as a yogi recognizes it. It says, although we have sunk into the fastness of cyclic existence, a far fathomless ocean of unbounded suffering, we are full of excitement and joy without a trace of fear or dismay. What is going on in our minds? We are constantly engulfed in the flames of blazing troubles. Poverty, the difficulty of finding resources, of protecting them, of losing them. The pain of separation, sickness and aging. The pride we take in our pleasure appears to be that of a lunatic. Um, lunatic. I know what it means, but <laughs> I've never heard it. <laughs> he continues, alas, so worldly beings have eyes, they are blind. Also, you clearly see what is always evident. You pay no attention whatsoever. Is your mind as impenetrable as a vajra? And I think um, it sounds like the yogi has recognized the nature of cyclic existence. And um, the comparison with impenetrable as a watcher, the mind is as impenetrable as a watcher, is similar to uh, this uncontrolled mind of ours, or undisciplined mind. So our mind is not workable. Um, we are hung up in the eight worldly concerns, for example, afflicted and yeah, afflicted by our karma. So another yogi gave once um, Kungla Rato Rinpoche great advice um, in the process of reading his biography. Um, Kungla Rato Rinpoche was born in 1923 in Tibet. And it's a very awesome biography. It says, my life and lives, I think. Venoma Shutran recommended it recently too. And it describes the monastic education rituals and such uh, at the time in Tibet before the invasion in 59. Anyway, Rinpoche um, shares that before his final Larampa exam, he went to a yogi in a hermitage um, somewhere near Lhasa to ask him for prayers for his success <laughs> of his final exam. Um, I think some of you guess already what the um, Lama said. <laughs> he answered, This one day should not be thought important in your life. If you win a great reputation by answering questions, that will be no use to whatsoever when you die. What counts is to go on studying to the close of this life and to go on knowledge so that in the end you may become a Buddha. So he was, of course, very ashamed. <laughs> And he never forgot what the yogi has said. So uh, me too. And a little bit I was uh, nervous before um, sitting here. And uh, then it helped me to remember this advice. Um, so and yeah, for sure, um, Kungla Vato Rinpoche was a very diligent practitioner and scholar. If you read his biography, 
you will have no doubt about that. Um, but I think the Lama, um, the yogi just wanted to um, alarm him, uh, to caution him not to fall into the, one of these eight worldly concerns, um, the attachment to place. So, um, but I think we should look into our own mind, of course. So to question ourselves, to ask ourselves, um, how diligent am I? Um, do I make really use of this precious human life? Do I really understand the true nature of samsara? Um, or do I under, or do I practice like um, those yogis, scholars, practitioners like Shantideva and Nagarjuna? And uh, some copper sites from Nagarjuna's friendly letter in his Lamram Shemu. It's what Venomous Sangikato just went through uh, in the 37 Bodhisattva practices that we should practice as if our head or hair would be on fire. Um, you should still set aside extinguishing these fires, Nagarjuna says, and strive to eradicate earth. There's no purpose higher than this. So, yeah, similar statement in Shantideva's um, verse. Uh, it says, seeing even hearers and solitary realizers who accomplish only their own good, strive as if to put out a fire on their head for the sake of all beings make enthusiastic. And your stick, and your stick effort. This is the prayer of a bodhisattva, or the practice of a bodhisattva. So we should not wait a second, um, of course, to put out the fire on our head. <laughs> and um, uh, so, uh, with this kind of urgency, we should practice. Because, uh, or I ask you, why? I would say one reason is that we're only one breath away from the lower realms at any given second. Very good. Yeah. I want to give you a quote from Geshe Supa and his commentary on the Lamam Shemu. Once you are born into a miserable rebirth under the power of karma and afflictions, you will be subject to every imaginable form of suffering. And you will have no control over your future. But if you succeed in attaining immense or liberation, you will never need to worry about those cross forms of suffering again. So in order to attain liberation, what practices um, are to be cultivated? Yes. Wow. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yes. Nagarjuna continues, so that's from the Lama Shenmo by Sunkapa, through ethical discipline, concentration, and wisdom, that are the three higher trainings, um, achieve nirvana and undefined state of peace and restraint. So Nagarjuna and Sunkapa are referring to the three higher trainings, clearly. Ethical conduct that we uh, cultivate on the medium scope of practitioners, and then concentration and wisdom on the um, advanced scope. But when you study the Lamam Shenmo, actually, uh, it elaborates, elaborates uh, on the advantages of um, an ethical lifestyle, and especially emphasizes the monastic style. So if you go into chapter 23 on um, end of um, uh, samsara liberation, there Tsongkhapa or Geshe Sopa, whatever you are reading, um, really elaborate on the advantages of a monastic life to support us in attaining 
uh, liberation. It doesn't say that as a lay person you can't attain liberation, but it's extremely, extremely difficult that he points out very, or they point out very strongly. Um, actually, you have to have um, quite a stable, quite a very stable and profound practice um, under your belt. Yeah. Um, because um, LA life can have so many uh, hindrances and interruptions to our practice. And um, yeah, he is saying that even bodhisattvas who have a lay or lead a lay life um, should aspire for ordination. Some couple saying that as well as Gisha Super in his commentary. So then, um, regarding concentration, we just recently heard um, from Venerable Sange Kato that it's also very difficult to attain, uh, to practice. So this meditation form needs a special environment and a conducive environment. He even, she even said that in a monastery like, you know, here at the Abbey with all our activities that is not achievable. But she encouraged us still to practice it daily. Even five minutes is a very efficient um, contributor to the progress of our um, practice and studies. So um, this will help us to um, also understand then the wisdom path. And uh, this is actually um, where His Holiness the Dalai Lama um, continues in the text. He doesn't elaborate here on ethical conduct or on concentration. So he can goes directly into the wisdom section. So he, Avanamashutran uh, says, um, His Holiness stresses that consciousness has the ability to realize objects, but that self-grasping ignorance obscures the ability and we can see it in our lives. So this self-grasping ignorance is the seed of existence. Ignorance grasps inherent existence. We see objects in an obscured manner. But the possibility to um, see all objects is there because the nature of mind is clear and cognizant. So further the text continues um, with a quote by Nagarjuna in Treatise on Middle Way. That which is dependent arising is explained to be empty. And that's actually from chapter 18, first 24, no, 18 and 19. And it states, that which arises dependently and relatedly is explained as simply being empty. And that which is empty is independently designated. This is the middle way path. First 19. Because there is not one single phenomena that is not a dependent arising, there is not one single phenomena that is not empty. And she said that when she was in India, His Holiness really recommended to memorize these two verses. So to, I don't know if you have memorized it, but I wanted to give you something. And maybe you want to follow His Holiness's advice and Memorize it, so I will do my own job <laughs> as well. <laughs> so I think um, even so we may be able to understand the context fully yet, um, not fully yet, <laughs> but it's, um, like I said, the um, 
small nuns or monks in the monasteries who first, with their seven, twelve years old, memorize um, uh, all the books, texts, uh, without even understanding necessarily uh, what they are memorizing there. And then later, through the process of debating, thinking about it more and more, and meditating and discussing it, they finally will um, achieve some achieve some deep understanding, hopefully. So I have the same hope for myself and for you too, that we, um, if you haven't understand it, penetrated it yet, that we will be able to follow His Holiness's guidance and have deep understanding of it. So then page 37, it reads, But when objects appear to us, they do not appear to be dependent or related to other factors. When Amashutran says, comments to it, when we look at each other, we don't see there's a person uh, that has parents or a person that has years of life experiences or there's a person who is the continuity of the consciousness from many, many previous lives. And that consciousness is carrying all sorts of karmic seeds. We don't see people in that way, she says. Um, this is how out of touch we are. Um, of reality. I want to give a simple example. I saw some time ago a documentary um, in German about homeless life in Germany, especially in a town where I lived for the last years before I moved to the Abbey in Hamburg. And Hamburg is in, located in the north of Germany and it's uh, actually one of the richest towns uh, of that country. Um, <clears throat> So, uh, like here in the U.S., so um, there are many homeless people. And in the U.S., um, now, uh, we had a very cold winter with a lot of snow, and um, there I discovered a lot of homeless people. And when I was in Seattle, for example, some years ago, um, I saw a lot of homeless people in Seattle under bridges. Or when we go to Spokane, there are quite a number of homeless people around so um, the US, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development released a report last year showing that the Washington state has the fifth highest rate of homelessness in the nation. According to the report, more than 2,200 people across the state are homeless, which is 5.6% um, increase from the uh, year before. So Spokane, with a population of 217,000 people, um, there are about um, 1,245 people homeless. And in Seattle, um, there are 12,112 homeless people. And Seattle has about um, 725,000 citizens or people living there. That's just behind LA or um, New York City. And New York City is number one with um, seven... 8,676 homeless people. So often um, being homeless is a personal choice. If people don't abstract um, or abstain from drugs, um, uh, from alcohol, it's uh, difficult for them to, um, uh, to find um, the support they actually need. Uh, I don't know here in the U.S., but in Germany, if a homeless person wants to have um, governmental support, 
and then they have to abstain from tax and alcohol. If they want to spend a night in a homeless shelter, they have to abstain from those um, uh, tax as well. And um, according to the documentation, there have been a number of um, interviews and also the um, statistics say that um, many of the homeless people um, have difficulties letting go of those tax. And um, sometimes it's also a choice. Um, it's a choice to be free, to be not, um, uh, yeah, under the restrictions of governmental in Germany, I don't know about the U.S., uh, governmental uh, control. And then um, other times, um, it's really due to a immense suffering that people had to go through, you know, losing your job and then your house, family, and so on. And um, this documentation I saw interviewed, as I said, several homeless people, and the interviewer um, asked them at the time of Christmas what they most wish for. And um, many of them, especially those um, who rather prefer to be on the street than using the governmental support, say what they really wish is the respect of others. So um, some experience degradation, um, neglect as if there would be nobody, they are put into a category as if they would be not a real human being who has feelings, who has a history, and um, a history why they are actually on the street and uh, why they are taking drugs. Um, they um, want, these homeless people want to be seen as whole, as um, not just a drug addict, yeah? not just as a homeless person. So just as Venomous Schüttrin says, even on a conventional level, we don't see a person how they really exist as a person, for example, with life experiences. Yeah. Mm. So it says further in the book, but when objects appear to us, they do not appear to be dependent or related to other factors. They appear as independent, discrete objects that exist under their own power, with their own inherent essence, from their own side. This appearance of objects as existing in their own right is false, and the idea that objects exist in that way is erroneous and can be refuted by reasoning. I just wanted to comment about the homeless, mm -hmm. that um, the other issue with the homeless is mental illness. Mm -hmm. So it's not just drug or alcohol abuse. And in California, for example, the ranks of homeless increased dramatically when then-Governor Ronald Reagan closed the state hospitals. Well, I did heard that, yeah. So, yeah, mm -hmm. so it's, yeah. Uh, that's a population, and it's very unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Like you said, lots of suffering. Yes. Yeah, that's a difference to Germany. We don't, uh, we have still um, mental clinics. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when Schultern continues, so you have the appearance and then the conception or the idea that that appearance is correct. The appearance is false, but the conception that grasps that appearance is true, is erroneous and can be refuted by reasoning. So an approaching of Buddha's path, I think on page 37 it says, 
Inherent existence, also called existence from its own side, is called the object of negation. Its word is refuted or negated by analysis or reasoning. So, Werner um, comments, the object of negation is something that never existed. So we are not destroying something that has existed when we refute inherent existence. We are realizing that something that has never existed uh, has never existed. <laughs> so the book continues, once analysis is complete, the consciousness realizing that persons and phenomena do not exist from their outside is generated in our mind stream. This wisdom consciousness damages and eventually completely overcomes the conception and grasping that objects exist inherently. So the wisdom's mode of apprehension directly contradicts the view of ignorance or mode of apprehension, like Owls and Crows, or when my children say, day and night, by familiarizing ourselves with wisdom, ignorance decreases and is finally extinguished. So, if you are wondering how it's possible to remove ignorance from our mindstream, um, this is an explanation why. And because ignorance is an erroneous consciousness that misapprehends things. Um, I think three months ago or so, His Holiness the Dalai Lama um, went on pilgrimage in India. And he elaborates on that point very briefly and distinct. And I was just astonished. And it's, it's a beautiful, short um, kind of documentary of seven minutes that I would like to share. And for the viewers from afar, I gave a link. You can watch it later. Um, we will watch it now together and um, yeah, see what you think. Saranam 
generosity, ahimsa, and compassion. Then further deeper, he explained the whole system of thought, emotion, positive emotion based on reason. Therefore, we can further develop through training. The destructive emotion, no proper basis, just the emotion. Okay. <laughs> All major world traditions, same potential. In spite, in spite of different philosophy, all carry same message, message of love, forgiveness, tolerance. In philosophical field, Buddha Dharma is something unique. As I mentioned earlier, he emphasizes investigation. Therefore, knowledge tradition can go model science, science by science. According to my own experience, now over 30 years, nearly 40 years, I have serious discussion with modern scientists. So I found that kind of discussion is visual learning. Right then. Just sit for a couple of minutes just to mm, settle what we have just heard because these are the Suliness statements. So what we just heard is exactly what His Holiness also says in reporting the Buddha's path. When Mushutran um, says, when we generate the wisdom that apprehends things correctly, and then it's possible to eliminate the ignorance, wrong perception. His Holiness's um, emphasis that ignorance, erroneous mental states, um, can't be removed just through prayers or now praying to a deity or asking for blessings from a deity or even not so single-pointed concentration. And Venerable um, Shudan says that His Holiness emphasizes that again and again. So that means that um, ignorance can be removed through a process of study and practice. And now it uh, points to the essence um, in approaching the Buddhist path, it says, Thus, because of the two factors mentioned earlier, the mind being the nature of clear light and the farmers being adventitious, liberation is, attainable, is an attainable possibility. So the continuum, sublime continuum says, oh, who wrote that? The sublime continuum, Matriya, yes. This clear and luminous nature of mind is as changeless as space. 
it is not afflicted by desire, and so on. The adventitious stains that spring from false conceptions. So when Shutan said, whenever we feel down, hopeless, um, we should read this quotation. <laughs> Therefore, um, she said, put it on your alarm clock or um, in the mirror. <laughs> I gain for myself as well as for you. Hopefully, you benefit. <laughs> you may want to have it. <laughs> so... Again, this clear and luminous nature of mind is as changeless as space. It is not afflicted by desire and so on. The adventitious stains that springs from false conceptions. So it's a quality of mind, the quality of mind having separated forever from the defilements that causes cyclic existence. So the application of antidotes to those defilements. And this quality of mind free from defilements is the ultimate nature of mind that exists since beginning's time. And this ultimate nature of mind is called Buddha nature or Buddha potential. And then it says on page 38 on the bottom, the very basis for nirvana, the emptiness of mind, is always with us. It's not something that is newly created or gained from outside. And when Mashutran emphasis, um, this is also something very important to understand. She says, the very basis of nirvana being the ultimate nature of mind that is free from all defilements through the application of antidotes. That empty nature of mind is here right now, not something newly created. She says, it's here right now. And with this, I have actually finished my review, but I want to review some of the questions from the very beginning. Um, <laughs> to summarize it a little bit. So what are the two factors um, that make liberation possible? The clear and cognizant nature of mind and the adventitious um, defilements. Um, what is the cause of cyclic existence? Perfect, then we can the undisciplined, ignorant mind. <laughs> and what's nirvana? The state beyond sorrow. That's the quality of mind that's separated from the ferment. Hmm? Yeah. And that's separated from the ferment because the antidotes to their ferments have been applied. And so not so magic, not so prayer. Um, not so applying, uh, just to applying the antidotes. Yes, um, this is my review for this evening. If you have any comments, want to share something from what you have learned um, so far from Venomous teachings or other teachers, please, this is a moment. Don't ask questions. I don't have any answers. <laughs> but here are some seniors in the room um, who have studied much more than I and practiced longer. They can help for sure. Um, at the end of the teaching, you mentioned uh, the clear light nature of the mind being Buddha nature. Um, I, there's two types of Buddha nature, and I can't remember what those two are called. Evolving, and I think something else. And, and natural Buddha nature and evolving Buddha nature. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> what are these two? Is there somebody who can describe them? <laughs> these two types of Buddha nature. The nature of mind is its emptiness, and that's the ultimate Buddha nature. That's the ultimate one. And then there's the development, mental, developable, whatever you just word you just used. Evolving, evolving Buddha nature is the um, clarity, the continuity of the mind that continues to, to free of right. The fact that it, it can be freed of all afflictions, but it is the conventional nature of mind. Okay, very good, thank you. <laughs> you can find it in Buddhism, one teacher, many in tradition. <laughs> yeah.